expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. General, if you would please place your left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I, George Washington, do solemnly swear. I, George Washington, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help me, God. It is done. God bless George Washington, President of the United States. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, November 3rd, 2011. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we'll be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all well, apparently not everyone likes government, eh, Robert? Nope. <laughs> 519-661-3600, the number to call if you want to join in on the conversation today, which is going to be a bit of a part two to last week's show, almost, eh? And um, where we talked about basically libertarians and the whole libertarian movement. And um, we're going to carry on from that because we did get a response from a libertarian, and which I know you're going to be dealing with, Robert. I also want to look at anarchy versus anarchy, or anarchy, meet anarchy, as you put it. And maybe we'll be able to put close to the final nail in this whole subject to help people understand uh, the whole thing about libertarians. And today, of course, we're going to introduce the conservative element to this issue, too, and how, how the two of them cross. Yes. Now... Anyone who tuned into last week's show, I did a little bit of libertarian name-dropping, not for the sake of it, to establish that I know a lot of the key people in the libertarian movement, the, the founders, the people who um, even started the whole thing. I think, but I did neglect to mention, of all people, and I, I really felt bad after the show, there was another uh, libertarian, the late Vincent Miller, who sadly and unexpectedly passed away in 2008 at age 69 from an infection common in California Central Valley called Valley Fever. And he just picked that up quite unexpectedly and passed really? away. And it, yeah, it was really something. And uh, Vince was the founder, believe it or not, of the International Society for Individual Liberty, which is the sponsoring group that hosted the conference right here at the University of Western Ontario in 2000, from which we took our clips of the speakers that we heard on last week's show, and we'll hear again from this week's show. 
And Vince, incidentally, was born in Brampton, Ontario in 1938, was around London all the time. And, um, you know, as I looked into his history, I noticed that the ISIL International Conferences have hosted many impressive guests from all shades of the right and even of the left, Robert, to some degree, including uh, not not on the left, but I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been a guest at an ISIL conference. And I was surprised to learn, I didn't know this till last night, others who appeared in the same conference series included, uh, you know, well, at ours too, the National Post, Terrence Corcoran, George Jonas, lawyer Karen Selleck, they were at that one. But in previous conferences, I was surprised to learn that uh, uh, the likes of Milton Friedman, Walter Williams were prominent speakers at previous conferences. And I know Vince used to uh, visit, you know, Gordon Carroll when he came here in town, and I'd, we'd get together, and, you know, he's a very likable guy. And, again, that's what I want to stress. You can meet these people. They're great. They have their expertise, their geniuses in some areas. But when it comes to government, they have a little bit of a beef. And maybe you want to pick it up from there, Robert. Yeah, I think it, it needs picking up because... I can go on about libertarianism for a long time, ad nauseum, but exactly that's the exact emotion I get when I talk about libertarianism <laughs> is nausea because it really should be, like you say, put the na nail in the coffin, put the coffin in the ground, pile some dirt over it, and forget about it because it really doesn't deserve the coverage that we're really giving it, except that it, it becomes instructive to learn about some of the uh, movements that are out there, and I think that that's why we're talking about it today. Uh, and you and I talked about it at length last week, the, the failing of the libertarian movement and how it treats a limited government as being axiomatic rather than the result of a long chain of logical argument in a complete philosophy. We discussed how the leaders of the movement are primarily anarchists who suck people into the movement on the promise, the false promise, of implanting a capitalist society based on the respect for individual rights, when in fact... Their real goal is the complete abolition of government and sees all government as evil. That's just not our opinion. That's their opinion. That's the libertarian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I gotta, Let's gotta make keep, that very I clear. Got to keep interjecting that into the conversation yes. that that is not our opinion. That is the opinion of libertarianism. And we discussed how there are some who call themselves libertarian, but are actually, like Bob and myself, advocates for capitalism, but from a position that's not axiomatic, as I've mentioned. I posted my part of the show last week on my blog at robertvaughn.ca and uh, put a link to it on our Just Right Facebook page, our fan page. And it received a rather lengthy critique from Glenn, who, as I discovered by clicking on his name, had been a candidate for the Ontario Libertarian Party in last month's provincial election. Now, I'll read Glenn's comment in its entirety, and then follow up with some observations of my own, which I hope will prove some of my points from last week's show, um, that being that the Libertarian Movement and indeed the Ontario Libertarian Party are promoters of anarchy and not liberty. So, these are the comments from Glenn, the Ontario Libertarian Party candidate. He starts off by saying, LOL, L-O-L, I guess that means laugh out loud. We are talking yeah. about mm -hmm. a Facebook post here, so <laughs> right. keep that in mind. What a load of absolute bunk. I read the article, and there's a lot of oft-repeated definitions that have been thrust upon the libertarian movement, a lot of preconceived and ridiculous notions tossed about by those who fear individual rights and freedoms. 
a free market economy, a sound financial system based on hard assets. As in any political party or organization, Glenn writes, as well as any religious movement or organization, there are to be found radical elements, people who have become disenfranchised in some form or another, who find their way to a place where they can find a degree of acceptance. These are, by and large, the few of the many in any organized movement, such as the case with libertarians. He continues, the vast majority of libertarians view government as it stands now in a cleverly disguised leftist socialist form as evil and despotic. Because it is leftist, evil and despotic, most libertarians believe there must be a minimum form of government based on principles held, get this, in the Magna Carta. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know you laugh. (laughs) Which was the basis, he writes, for the earliest forms of British common law. Common being the important word here, where the common people may not be subjugated to government or monarchy, where where the rule of law is applied fairly and equally to all, regardless of social standing. I didn't know that's what the Magna Carta stood for. No, apparently you didn't read the Magna Carta because (laughs) it would apply to freemen of Britain and not to the serfs and the Mm. common man. (laughs) I'm telling you, the way people rewrite laws in their minds when they protest, it's Uh, amazing. It's it's a shame that um, he didn't research this a little more, but anyway... He goes on, where people are allowed to pursue their lives without interference as long as they live by the commonly held rules of lawful existence. Not the Magna Carta I'm aware of, but anyway. This was also the basis of the original U.S. Constitution, he claims, which over the years has become amended upon amendments in reducing its power to protect the people to less than nil. If you can you get less than nil? Yeah, okay. minus one. Oh, okay. <laughs> minus two. By actually giving the power to the state, just as in Canada, the common law has been um, discarded in favor of statism, one pen stroke at a time, culminating in the rise of a communist to prime minister and implementing a charter that destroys personal rights and freedoms and gives all powers to the oligarchs. If anyone would care to really know what libertarians would like to achieve for all people... Please get past this type of rhetoric, and I guess he's talking about my rhetoric, not his, mm-hmm. and talk to some real <laughs> libertarians, people like Neil Pert, Drew Carey, Clint Eastwood. I guess he must have these guys on speed dial. Now, there are three libertarians I don't know. <laughs> well, Neil Pert I only knew the from... founder, the president, and the big guys. I didn't know the, the, the movie stars, sorry. Uh, Neil so Pert, obviously I, I know nothing. Rush, yeah. right? And Drew Carey, the comedian, and Clint Eastwood, the mayor of... Uh, that town in California, and the actor. Uh, yeah, no, I think I'll pass on just uh, calling them up to get their views. And I don't think Clint Eastwood would be a libertarian in this, of the sort that these guys are talking about. I don't think so either. And it goes on, you know, he says, or call myself or any member of the Libertarian Party in your area, I would like to talk to if I would talk to a few rather than listen to people. Now, he's talking about me here. Outside of the movement, uh, define what oh, we outside. are. Does he know where the movement yeah. is? yeah. A common political tactic, define or be defined, being the rule. I researched for quite a while and went to speak to people within the movement for a few months before I joined. I am none of the things this article states libertarians are, and that is the crux of my post and the issue I have with this article. This person is absolutely incorrect. He's talking about me here. And that, that is his comment. Where do I begin, Bob? There's just so much in here that we could talk about. Well, he could, I don't know. Did he say anything about how he is different? I didn't hear anything in, in his commentary that no, he distinguished didn't. him from the libertarians we were criticizing. First of all, I grant that this is not what I would call a critical review of my article, but instead an emotional reaction. But this is normal on Facebook, though. 
And I'd ex- but though I would have expected something better from a person who tried to run to be a member of the provincial parliament. You know, mm-hmm. first of all, it was actually rather difficult to read because of all the grammar- <laughs> grammatical and typos and all of that stuff, which he left in. My God, man, if you're going to be writing a critique, at least run it through a spell checker first. <laughs> By the way, it was all sort of like one run-on sentence as well. You really got to see it and look at it. Go to our Facebook page. <laughs> go to our uh, website, justrightmedia.org. Click on the Facebook thing and go right to our Facebook page and have a, have a look for yourself. There's where he's at, his comment is. So, to take his last point first, as I explained on last week's show, I was a member and a supporter of the Ontario Libertarian Party in 1985 and was asked by one of its most prominent leaders, K. Sergeant, to run. I declined the offer, gracious as it was. So to infer that I am someone who is not familiar with the local movement is incorrect. With further study, by the way, I'm sitting across from one of the movers and shakers of the early libertarian movement in this province, Bob Metz. (laughs) So with further study, and it didn't take long, I realized that the Libertarian Party was fundamentally an anarchist movement and was not going to get anywhere advocating its ridiculous platform. I stopped supporting the party that same year. I'll move beyond the more opinionated criticisms, such as calling my article bunk and ridiculous. As for containing preconceived notions, I'd agree. Many people before me have had the notion that libertarianism is anarchy at its root, so in this sense my notions agree with their preconceived ones. Yes give you that. Glenn suggests that my criticism must come from a fear of individual rights, freedom, and a free market. All I can say is, Glenn, you don't know me very well, do you? And I'd suggest you read some of my other articles or perhaps listen to the archive episodes of Just Right to see exactly where I stand on rights, freedom, and the free market. Now, Glenn admits that, like any organization, it has its elements of radicals and the disenfranchised, and I'd agree, but later on, I'm going to demonstrate that in the case of libertarianism, these radicals and disenchanted are the leaders and the intellects. I was going to say the they're not the few. They're, that's the group. All of there are few in society, but they all they all gravitate to the Libertarian Party. Yeah. At least that that type of disenfranchisement. Yes. Now, Greg believes that government must be based on the principles held in the Magna Carta, and that that document was the basis for the U.S. Constitution. I'm not a political historian. I'll grant you that. However, to suggest that the Magna Carta, or even the U.S. Constitution in its original form, should be the basis for a government only goes to demonstrate my point that libertarians take government as an axiom, as a primary. These legal documents are the end result, no doubt, of many decades of philosophic discussion on the nature of liberty and rights. They are not primaries, but consequences of a broader philosophy. It's interesting to note, I think, that the U.S. Constitution also, Bob, is, um, in its original form at least, resulted from the overthrow of a country <laughs> that, which had in its own law the Magna Carta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean... Small details. Yeah, small details. A little contrary there. But um, now I promise to demonstrate that in the libertarian movement, it is the few who are the radicals and the disenfranchised or the anarchists, and that these few are its leaders and intellectuals at the top. By the way, I think I agree with you. They're not the few. They are the uh, majority of them. Yeah. The radicals and the disenfranchised. Matter of fact, every libertarian is disenfranchised by definition. Now, consider the leader of Glenn's own Ontario Libertarian Party, who um, the website says is Sam Applebaum. To tell you the truth, I did not follow anything about the Libertarian Party during the election and uh, never visited their website. 
Uh, I only just learned that the leader was Sam Applebaum by, by uh, having, uh, trying to respond to this criticism. So anyway, so Sam Applebaum, I quote from Mr. Applebaum's leader's report of the spring of this year. In it, he compares our current political mainstream culture with the libertarian culture. And I'm quoting from him here. Contrast the above with a culture which does not trust the state. He's speaking of libertarians here. Mm -hmm. Does not like it, does not want anything from it. It does not respect it. It wants to get rid of it in every possible way, as quickly as possible, and having done so, wants to get rid of it some more, until ultimately the dangerous, unnecessary, and chaotic institution Here you com go. That's, that's, completely that's, disappears. <laughs> no, even after that, negative. Oh, again, even after yeah, they got rid of it, they want more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get rid of it some more after we get rid of right. it. Yeah, brilliant. The sooner we experience... This is, again, Sam Applebaum. The sooner we experience this sort of thinking in significant numbers, the sooner we will see an end to the obstructions of the state and a concomitant libertarian or liberation of human potential. Now, that was from Sam Applebaum. It's on the Ontario Libertarian website, as of yesterday, at least. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've seen that trick before. Yeah, they're actually quite uh, famous for taking down stuff. Uh, but anyway, so this is the promotion of anarchy. It can be taken no other way. Just to reiterate, the leader of the Libertarian Party has called for the complete disappearance of the state, of government. He doesn't want anything from it. Not one thing. He doesn't respect it. He wants it gone in every possible way. That is anarchy. No two ways about it. That's not liberty. That's not capitalism. It's anarchy. Now, Glenn's face, uh, page on Facebook links to the Wikipedia article on the Ontario Libertarian Party, which reads in part, quote, The party is influenced by authors and thinkers like Jan Narvison and Murray Rothbart. Now, the political uh, ideology of Murray Rothbart, we covered on last week's show, he described himself as an anarcho-capitalist, in short, an anarchist. Jan Narvison is also described in Wikipedia as an anarcho-capitalist and contractarian. And finally, this year's annual general meeting and liberty seminar of the Ontario Libertarian Party had, as its keynote speaker, Stéphane Molyneux. Now, Mr. Molyneux is an anarchist whose blogs, podcasts, and videos can be seen on the Internet. I mean, just go out and have a look at them. He is the author of the book called Practical Anarchy. <laughs> Practical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, Glenn, if we're laughing at this, but it's just too—it's just too funny because this just—it's illustrating our point here. You know, as I mentioned in my article on last week's show, libertarianism is an ide ideology of anarchy. And while I know for a fact that there are many good people who call themselves libertarian, I do—I—I I, I know that for a fact they're good people. I believe that they've been taken in by the movement which promises less government and more freedoms, but at its root as I hope I've demonstrated, are anarchists who are no friends of liberty, but rather just haters of government and authority. That's it. Haters. Glenn ended his comment on my article by saying, quote, I am none of the things the article states libertarians are. Well, you know something, Glenn? I'm glad to hear it. But if you're not the kind of anarchist your own party leader and your party intellectuals are, then the question remains, what kind of libertarian are you? Mm-hmm. So I urge people to go and have a look at that critique on our Facebook page at justratemedia.org and link to the Facebook page there. And um, have, a, have a thought about it yourself. But I think that he's proving our point. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, the question about libertarianism, too, is how, how do you sell anarchy, right? How do you sell anarchy to people? You couch it in something that is palatable, which is um, liberty, capitalism, mm, free right. markets, all that kind of stuff. You package it like that, but what it is at its root is anarchy. That's right. Now, we're going to hear some very strong evidence to that fact. Now, what we're about to hear... Robert, is a set of excerpts from UWO's ISIL 2000 conference that we had here in London, Ontario in the year 2000. But they'll all be featuring a single speaker who most may not have heard of, a fellow named Jarrett Wolstein. And at the conference, I got to speak to him at some length. I don't know if he would particularly remember me, but we sat, we sat out during the lunch period there, and he described to me the complexity of the mechanics of, of the American electoral system. And I learned more from him in 45 minutes or so on that subject than anything I knew about U.S. politics before. And I remember thinking, thank God I live in Canada. There would be no Freedom Party in the U.S. And for all intents and purposes, a Libertarian Party, it doesn't really exist there either. It's mm -hmm. just a movement. But, you know, what I did not know about Jarrett Wolstein at the time that I was sitting there talking with him was that he has a very interesting piece of history to himself about which I only learned for the first time uh, when I read in two, the 2009 book by Jennifer Burns um, Goddess of the Market Ayn Rand and the American Right where he is included there on page 221 and what they have to, what she has to say about him is an interesting piece of history won't get into that now we'll talk about that after we hear from Jarrett first and what we're about to hear is well it's kind of obvious his, his experience it's very common that many people have and his ideas on the subject of anarchy versus, not <laughs> versus, you know, limited government and the kind of problem it has, has presented for libertarians. We'll be back after this. My introduction to the ideas of liberty came in 1963 after I graduated from high school and uh, read Atlas Shrugged, like uh, a lot of you probably were introduced to uh, libertarian or liberty ideas that way. And I was um, lucky because the school I went to, Drex, then called Drexel Institute of Technology in Philadelphia, happened to have a Ayn Rand Club, which I immediately joined because I thought it was a, a wonderful book. And this was like the greatest group of people I'd ever seen in my life. I had been really interested in political ideas in high school. And of course, being an intelligent high school student, I con con uh, concluded that the best of all possible political systems was uh, socialized democracy. <laughs> My ideas changed a little bit after reading Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> Shrugged. This was unusual for me because suddenly I had a, a total change in my worldview from uh, government should, we should have this benevolent government taking care of us and taking care of all the problems and the poor and so on and so forth to, uh, well, maybe the government shouldn't really do very much at all. Anyway, I love this group of people. They're really brilliant. And um, the, um, also, this was my introduction to what would later become a, one of my major hobbies, not so much now, but in the past, uh, costuming. The people in this particular Ayn Rand club like to dress up like the characters, these are from meetings, characters from the novels. So evening dresses were very popular among women, even at uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and both sexes love to, love to wear capes and also have foot-long uh, blue-green blue cigarette holders. <laughs> but they were actually pretty bright, you know, <laughs> even though they're a little bit strange for, for the campus. <laughs> um, 
anyway, I, I love listening to them, the ideas. It took really a while for me to absorb. And uh, for about three months, I hardly said anything. I just sat there listening to what these people had to say about uh, these wonderful ideas and philosophy and economics and politics. And then finally, after about three months, I said, well, these ideas are great. You're right. Um, I was wrong. Socialism is not a, a wonderful system. We have too much government. It's moving in the wrong direction. Now, and we've got all the right ideas. Now, what do we do about it? And I was greeted with, like, absolute silence. And finally, one of the people spoke up and says, well, we, you know, we really don't do anything with these ideas. You see, the, <laughs> the idea is to study the ideas. And, and maybe sometime in the distant future, we go out in the world and, and do something about these ideas. But for right now, the idea is just to study and improve yourself and, and learn about these ideas. And, and uh, it's, uh, we haven't been given permission by Ms. Rand to become active or do these things. And she thinks it's a bad idea. So, you know, basically, we, we just simply discuss and study these ideas. Um, that didn't sit real well with me at the time. <laughs> and subsequently, I went on to join Young Americans for Freedom, which was the only organization around that seemed to have anything to do with the freedom philosophy whatsoever. Um, and then became disenchanted with that and started uh, the first national libertarian organization with all of seven chapters, which I called Society for Rational Individualism, which later merged with Don and Dave to form SIL. Uh, anyway, that introduced basically the, the first issue that uh, divides libertarians, and that's the issue of political activism versus personal philosophical development. And I think this issue can be handled very, very simply uh, in a few sentences as far as how do you handle this, this, this schism. Uh, it's simply that both are important. It's not either or. This is, this is a real easy one to handle. And also it depends obviously upon the person as to what's important. To some people, simply philosophical contemplation seems sufficient. To other people, um, you know, unless they're involved in electoral politics or writing pamphlets or books, they're not very happy. Now, the, um, at the time, it seemed like a really hot issue, limited government versus anarchy. And for some libertarians today, it seems like a really hot issue. And this is like a major, major philosophical difference between libertarians. Um, the anarchist position basically has been that using any reasonable definition, government inherently violates individual rights. Uh, first, by definition, government's a geographic monopoly on force. And in order to maintain that monopoly, by definition, by its very nature, government has to prohibit individuals from doing the exact same thing that it does every single day, such things as passing laws, arresting people, holding trials, um, defending, uh, providing police protection, so on and so forth. So every day the government is doing things um, that it prohibits other people from doing, and this is a totally inconsistent position. I mean, uh, the anarchist position, again, is and I'm not speaking for one or the other right now, as you'll see, but just trying to state them. The anarchist position is simply that if, if individuals don't have a right to do, do such things as arrest and try and uh, provide protection, then government can't have that right either because rights only exist as individual rights. There are no collective rights. There's no collective animal called society or human beings. They're metaphors for a group of individuals. And consequently, if it's wrong for individuals to do it, it can't be right for government. And if it's right for government, it's got to be right for individuals. So this position that you can prohibit these actions, government can prohibit those actions, seem to me, uh, to seems to anarchists to be totally inconsistent. The second problem um, with, with government from an anarchist viewpoint is that all governments get money from their citizens uh, through force or the threat of force, in particular through taxation. 
And again, if you or I were to do the same thing, if I were to meet you on the street and say, hey, there's a really poor person in my neighborhood and they need money to send their kid to, to school or they need medical care for their kid and I would like you to give me you know, all the money in your wallet and savings account. And you say, well, I'm sorry, I need to feed my own kids. I say, well, but the, the needs of society outweigh your needs or whatever. Or not only do I think this, but we took a little vote on my block and everybody on my block thinks so. <laughs> and therefore, if you don't voluntarily give me your money, of course, everyone knows taxation is voluntary. If, if you don't voluntarily give me your money, I'm afraid I'm going to have to take a gun and uh, you know, threaten to kill you if you don't, don't give me your money. So consequently, uh, the second problem anarchists see with government is that they exist uh, through, uh, through force. They sustain themselves through force, in particular taxation. That was Jarrett Wolstein from the ISIL 2000 conference. And you know, talking about, all, he'll be, we'll be hearing from him again in about two minutes. And I just wanted to say something about what he just said. You know, it, what he just said is kind of Ayn Rand's fault. The, the, the confusion libertarians have about taxation. And um, it's been resolved, thank goodness, because Paul McKeever basically <laughs> resolved the problem, as Ayn Rand predicted someone in the legal field would. But, you know, it's interesting, from Jennifer Byrne's book, Goddess of the Market, Ayn Rand and the American Right Again, um, she writes that physical force was a core concern of Rand's political philosophy, for she held that rights could only be violated by physical force. But her definition of force was nuanced. She defined fraud, extortion, and breach of contract as force, thus enabling government to establish a legal regime that could create a framework for commerce. Critically, Rand also considered taxation to be, quote, an initiation of physical force, end quote, since it was obtained, ultimately, quote, at the point of a gun, end quote. This led her to a radical conclusion that taxation itself was immoral. In a separate essay, Government Financing in a Free Society, Rand considered the implications of taxation as force. In a truly free society, one without taxes, how would the government have any money to perform its proper functions? She suggested a few examples, such as fees tied to each contractual transaction, including credit transfers or a government lottery. Such schemes would, quote, not work today, Rand emphasized, delegating the details to the field of the philosophy of law. Okay. A, fee, a, a fee attached to a transaction, that's a sales tax. <laughs> I was going to say that. Oh, exactly. sorry. But that, no, you hit, you hit the nail on the head. That's right. Yeah. And she didn't see it as that, right? Because they the, didn't have the that in the, the states point, then. The point, well, maybe. The point is that um, it's not taxes themselves that are forced. It's the method of how they're collected and mm -hmm. against what. I would argue with that they have a point if you were talking about property taxes and income tax. Of course, yes. But not not these kinds of taxes that they mm -hmm. were just talking about. So, uh, in any case, we're going to hear again now from Jarrett Wolstein on anarchy um, and how they just can't find answers to certain questions and, and also coming back and then we'll expand on this issue to get to the conclusion that we're trying to reach after this. Now, um, after uh, 1984, basically, I wrote the basis for this speech I'm giving today, and I saw problems with both positions at that time, both limited government and anarchy. Uh, specifically, the problem with uh, the anarchy position is that there, I haven't seen a really good resolution for this problem of conflicting laws between competing defense agencies. In various attempts, but nothing that's been 100% satisfied with. On the other hand, I've got some major problems with most of the uh, images of limited government. The ones I've seen have mostly come out of uh, Ayn Rand. And some of the problems with their view of limited government, it's fine to say oh, we're going to have a moral government. But they never really explain how you, how you create that moral government uh, without coercion. 
specifically if you have 20 million people living in the United States in 1776, uh, when did all 20 million people ever agree to become a part of the government? And furthermore, even if they all did agree, which they didn't, if they did agree, how can they bind their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren? There's, there's, there's basically no way to do it. Um, so the, the United States government in particular, which is the one objectivists love to hold up as a model of a moral government, never came about non-coercively. They came about through representatives and limited participation and, and only men with property could, could vote and many of them didn't vote and so on and so forth. So it's nothing like unanimous consent or even 50% consent that created the government of the United States, much less sustained it. Um, and this question has never really been answered to my satisfaction by any uh, libertarian advocate of limited government as to how you achieve this kind of consent to create a uh, moral, what they would consider to be a moral government. Um, and I've never seen a satisfactory answer to the second important question for uh, advocates of limited government. And that is, how can you morally stop private groups from doing the exact same thing that you as a government agent do every single day? I mean, why is it that only police can arrest people? Or why is it that only government can have courts? Uh, or why is it that only Congress, you know, can create these rules, these, 50, these uh, uh, 350 people in Congress can create these rules and regulations everyone else has to obey? You know, I've never seen a satisfactory answer to that question either. I've um, come to the following conclusion about the limited government versus anarchy debate. The, basically, the political system that libertarians advocate um, is, in fact, a unique political system and actually has elements of both what is traditionally and historically called limited government and anarchy. Um, the, um, like traditional governments, and libertarians advocate organized police and courts and national defense and a system, maybe a common law system or, or whatever, for, for creating law. And historically, anarchists don't advocate these things. If you read the literature of anarchism, the overwhelming majority, I know there are exceptions, but the overwhelming majority of a anarchists historically say we shouldn't have such things as, as police or national defense or national organization or, or one set of laws for an entire nation. Yet these are all things that libertarians advocate. Um, Set, the other thing is that like anarchists, libertarians believe in voluntary consent and uh, this is again not necessarily something that um, um, anarchists uh, always, um, sorry, uh, that limited governmentalists uh, always advocate. We believe that you can only participate in an organization including government if you choose to participate in it. And uh, lastly, uh, libertarians oppose any form of taxes, which is actually different than historically most anarchists or and particularly most advocates of limited government have held. So we really advocate a unique system that's historically different than either anarchy or limited government. Now, um, since 1984, a lot more of the details have been worked out as to how this might work. Uh, more yet to re remain to be done. But the conclusion I came to, it's a really silly issue to say whether we advocate limited government or anarchy because the answer, uh, the answer can be either, the, all three of the following answers are correct. Neither one, <laughs> a little bit of each, or both, <laughs> okay? All three of those answers are correct because we don't advocate anything that's historically either limited government or, or anarchy. Um, so, therefore, I think we should really 
quibbling over what amounts to words on this issue and just talk about how society should be function. I think what we should call ourselves as advocates of a free society, uh, libertarians. And since the word anarchy, now even in the dictionary, the first definition is now chaos, violence, destruction. I think it's a not a good idea to use that word if you have any hope of trying to convince the, the general public. So I definitely think we should say we're advocates of very limited government. And even if you believe in uh, competing defense agencies uh, and totally denationalized defense and so on and so forth, you, I think you can still legitimately call yourself a, a advocate of limited government. <laughs> oh, Unbelievable, eh, Robert? I'm afraid so. Um, no understanding of consent, of consensus, of government, of participation, you know, it's a little frightening. And so basically lie is what he said. Yes. He said... Um, stop using the word anarchy. Yeah, stop using the word anarchy. People don't like that. So what do you suppose the result of that would be? Let me see. If you start saying that you're in favor of limited government, where might you end up? Well, there is a place that also speak, talks about limited government, and that's called the Conservative Party. And that is where all these libertarians are starting to end up. And libertarians, this is interesting. Libertarians are anarchists who say they're in favor of limited government. Conservatives are socialists who say they're in favor of limited government. <laughs> now, think about that for a minute. Socialists and anarchists in the same camp, each preaching the words of freedom, limited government, and lower or no taxes. Anybody see a problem here? <laughs> yes, Canada's Prime Minister uh, Stephen Harper certainly saw a problem because a couple of years ago, and we dealt with this on the show before, and I may get into the details on this, but Harper went on a purge of libertarians into, into his party. And, um, you know, even Terence Corcoran was shocked because here, here he's supposed to be preaching the same kinds of values, right? Now, here's the other problem. I'm in, limited, I'm in favor of limited government too, Robert. Yep. <laughs> but what is limited government? Limited government refers to limiting the authority and functions of government by a constitution, which Ayn Rand has always reminded us was intended to be a limit on government, not on its citizens. She always says, remember, a constitution is a limit on the government, not on its citizens. Now, what would anarchists do with a constitution? Anarchists would burn it. <laughs> what would conservatives do with a constitution? Well, they would use it as a tool to restrict their own citizens rather than to restrict government. So it's not metaphysically possible for anarchists to be in favor of limited government because that's not what anarchy is. <laughs> they are not mutually compatible. They, that's why we have different words, and that's why words are important. And you can't have a discussion about the society you envisage if you think words are not important. How are you going to have the discussion? So, you know, and it's not, it's not possible for conservatives to be in favor of limited government because they believe in expanding government, always sucking in the fools who believe otherwise. And yes, you know, Harper has recently introduced legislation to eliminate, quite properly, the gun registry, but at the same time introduced an office of religious freedom whose first year's budget is going to be five million dollars. You know, so only capitalism and freedom are metaphysically compatible with limited government. And knowing that, conservatives and libertarians join together in their big lie that they're both in favor of freedom and capitalism too. Why not? Go all the way. If you're going to tell a lie, tell a big one. Yes. When neither of them are. And that's why they've been working so well together, because they can share the lie. The lie that they're in favor of freedom, capitalism, and limited government. Join the club. Not mine, sorry. 
which will get them the votes they want while working against each other and against freedom of capitalism in reality. And that leaves the electorate entirely confused and distrusting of the right in particular and leaves people like you and me, Robert, and political parties like freedom parties smeared with their same dirty brush, which we have to constantly keep wiping ourselves clean of. You know, I'm getting sick of it, and that's what's happening. Now, this fellow we just heard from all these clips, um, you know, Jarrett Wolstein, found something interesting about him, and I think there's a lesson to be learned here. And this, again, is from... Um, Jennifer Byrne's book, Goddess of the Market, Ayn Rand and the American Right. And this was on page 221, and she wrote this about him, essentially. But first she established, quote, student objectivists had to be careful how they used Rand's ideas or they would incur her wrath. And then the writer explains that when Ayn Rand once appeared at the University of Virginia's Ayn Rand Society Conference, she noticed that, quote, the club used a phrase from John Galt's oath on its stationery. Rand noticed that the uh, uh, um, her lawyer rather um, dispatched a blistering letter ordering removal of the offensive quote, and the club organizers found themselves in an embarrassing and potentially costly situation with a legal, from a legal point of view. Then the author Jennifer Burns continues, quote, "A similar fate befell Jarrett Wolstein, the person we just heard from, a dedicated student of objectivism." Wolstein offered a course on Rand's thought at the University of Maryland's, quote, free university, hoping to balance the overly leftist content of the other courses. He was careful to identify himself as an independent operator who had not been sanctioned by Rand, but his disclaimer was to no avail. The local NBI, uh, which is a Nathaniel Brandon Institute representative, soon visited his class to read aloud a legalistic statement announcing that he was not an approved teacher in the process of scaring off several students. Next, Wolstein's application for an NBI class was rejected and his registration fee refunded. Ayn Rand then publicly disowned his project in the objectivist, writing, quit, uh, quote, I wish to put on the record that I repudiate and unequivocally disapprove of Mr. Wolstein's entire undertaking. Lengthy letters to Rand and Brandon brought no reply. When Wolstein attended an objectivist-sponsored conference on the draft, his presence caused a storm of controversy. Although the conference was not an official event, Leonard Peikoff was a keynote speaker. Peikoff refused to speak if Wolstein was permitted to attend even a single session of the conference, throwing the day's proceedings into jeopardy. After a tense confrontation with two NBI-affiliated lawyers, Wolstein accepted a refund and left the conference. He later received a brief letter from the from Nathan banning him from all NBI lectures. Even such treatment would not wean Wolstein off Rand or dampen his enthusiasm for her message. He wrote an article for Young American Freedom's New Guard criticizing Rand and her associates, quote, as the new founders of a new orthodoxy, but also asserted the value of objectivism will stand for all time, end quote. So, in light of that, you know, and, you know, in case anyone's wondering, I, I fully agree with with Rand and her associates, that it was absolutely necessary for them, as objectivists, to distance themselves in every way possible from libertarian and anarchist Jared Goldstein, or Goldstein. Um, you, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't want anyone listening to the show to misunderstand that Robert or I support what, you, what you've heard from him. And even so, um, you know, what can we say? After Jennifer Byrne's description of Goldstein, I think he was the guy we heard. He was very... Um, you know, into Rand and all that stuff, but boy, talk about misled. Now, um, do I understand we have a call on the line? Do we still, or has he left? Hi. Hello. Hi. I was just uh, wondering what your, both of your personal opinions are on if this all took place, 
in Canadian society if they had no government or very little government, uh, how different things would look? Like, what, what, what is your opinions on how our lives would be if these anarchists got their way? Well, actually, I can answer that. I think that we actually have a, an example in society today where there is no government, there is basically no official government. Um, it's Somalia. And in Somalia, you have people uh, running around in uh, pickup trucks with, with guns, uh, killing people, um, robbing them. You don't know. You can't, you can't go, go outside of your door without knowing whether or not you're going to be killed. And that's exactly what anarchy is. The definition that Mr. Wolstein gave is accurate. It is chaos. It is where anybody with a gun can um, go, go after anybody else. Yeah, and, and you know the, the issue too is that that uh, you know where Wallstein was saying, you know, how come we can't do the same things governments can do? They can arrest the authority of, of of administering justice, right? The thing that's missed is government quote is the people. Yes, <laughs> that's how the people get together to do the things that he says the people should be able to do. <laughs> Isn't that kind of obvious? That's true. So the issue is never more government, less government. It, it, it is about whether you have rational government, whether you have good government, whether, whether your government is doing the right things. And the government's not doing a lot of things in some areas that it should be, failing to administer justice. And in other areas, it's, it's actually violating rights and justice before, for political purposes and political reasons. And that's probably the main problem there. So I hope that answers the question of our, of our caller. Now, um, shall we take a break again right now, Robert? And yeah, and as a matter of fact, this? after the break, I can continue on a little bit more mm. about what um, a society might look like when, uh, when you have anarchy. So, uh, yeah. Anarchy meet anarchy, right? Yes, anarchy okay. meet anarchy. right after this. Hello, Mac. Hi, Chief. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Chief. Well, Chief, what's all the excitement about? Max, this is a big one. The fate of our entire nation may depend on it. Now, Max, it seems to me that... Just a minute, Chief. Isn't this top security? Yeah. Well, shouldn't we activate the cone of silence? The cone of silence? Yes. All right, Max. Hodgkins. Yes, sir. Activate the cone of silence. The cone of silence? <laughs> How much do you know about chaos? What did you say, sir? <laughs> what? Chaos. Oh, chaos. Yes, of course. Well, that's an international criminal organization that was founded, oh, I think in 1957. How's that? <laughs> what? 57. Agent 57 is in Hong Kong. <laughs> Hong Kong. What about Hong Kong? What? Hong Kong. Why are we talking about Hong Kong? <laughs> People deserve a full investigation. Whoever did this should be found and criminally prosecuted. Well, I'm sure there will be an inquiry. But it is not in my best interest as a senator to speculate who is responsible. 
You're an elected official. You're supposed to be a leader. You start working for your own goals, you lose sight of what's best for people. I do not need a lecture on my mandate, little brother. Haiti must become truly independent. There are times when certain unpleasant things must happen in order to advance national security and interest. You should be ashamed of yourself. And I am fortunate your opinion of me does not matter. Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. We're talking about anarchy, libertarianism, and conservatism, all part of the same package. And just before the break, we had a call from a caller who asked, what would we envision a Canadian society to be like if it was anarchic, has no government, there was anarchy? Now, I, I said there was one example, and that is Somalia, but there's another one. Victoria Park. <laughs> 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 For those who don't know the reference in yeah. Victoria Park, that's where the Occupy London yeah, protest oh, sorry, is. Yeah, there's about a lot 50 of tents down there. Yeah. <laughs> now, anarchy, in my, my opinion, can be expressed in two forms. The more common form is a state of lawlessness, like we talked, with an, unidentif with, with an identifiable government or authority. With no, with, sorry, without an identifiable government or authority. And Somalia may be a current day example of this kind of anarchy. It's By, by the way, it's it's basically the utopian dream of a libertarian. Yes. This kind of uh, society, like Somalia. Now, the other kind of anarchy is experienced when an identifiable government becomes despotic, where the military or the police can round up anyone without cause, can imprison them, kill them, torture them without cause, and where people live in fear daily, with no protection for their rights and no expectation of privacy. The Soviet Union, Communist China, North Korea may be examples of this kind of anarchy. And believe me, it's anarchy. The exact same result, whether or not you have no laws, no government, or whether or not you have a despotic government. Now, I'd like to read from you a clip from yesterday's National Post. And I quote, Ai Weiwei, the activist uh, artist who was detained by China's secret police for 80 days this year, has been hit with a 15,220,000 yuan fine. That's about $2.4 million tax bill. It's not a fine, it's a tax bill, he called it. Quote, the police have been trying to pressure me to just pay the bill, trying to scare me, warning that if I don't pay, I'll be in more trouble, he said. He goes on, China is so rich and powerful, but it is a country without law. Mr. I has 15 days to pay up. Mm -hmm. Now, tell me, what is the difference there where this roving gang of people, whether at, the, whether at the hands of a roaming gang of young hoodlums with AK-47s in Somalia, or at the hands of roaming gangs of young hoodlums wearing uniforms armed with AK-47s in communist China, the results are the same. Anarchy. A country without law. Now, the United States... Just to bring it home a bit, maybe address the caller again, the United States Department of Homeland Security has been training for the last few years New York City firefighters to spy on citizens because firefighters can legally enter dwellings without warrants, whereas Homeland Security cannot. The result is that the U.S. government via the New York City Fire Department is entering people's homes and spying on their own citizens much like Ceausescu did in, uh, what was that, Romania, mm -hmm. before he was killed. Much like Chinese do. 
much like the um, the Eastern Bloc did uh, 30 years ago. Closer to home, the Conservative government is set to reintroduce surveillance bills, which were defeated before the dissolution of the last Parliament. Now, these bills would make it easier for the police to track people, people's electronic communications. They would force communications companies to preserve and turn over data of interest to the police, and they would give police warrantless power to access subscriber information. It's the thin edge of the wedge, if you ask me. Whether you get from the, um, the fringe libertarians or the mainstream conservatives, the ideology of anarchy, of lawlessness, is encroaching rapidly on our society. And if the caller wants to know what it's going to be like under anarchy, hang around for a while, I think. Well, these perpetual protests are, are very anarchical in the sense that they have all these competing ideas all under the same roof, all push, pushing in you know, differing directions, yeah. and, and all missing the basic point. Just to emphasize what you were saying, Robert, um, you know, the whole issue of force and government eludes anar anarchists and libertarians, and in fact, conservatives and a lot of people, maybe even our justice system to some degree. You know, I'm always reminded of what Paul McKeever tells us. He says, you know, when you say you have a right to something, at the core of what is meant by that is that you have a right to use force to protect that something. Of course. And generally, the three somethings that we protect to use force are life, liberty, and property. property. Okay. Now, anarchists are befuddled with themselves. Well, how do we use force morally? Well, the same way you do as an individual, you dummy jeez. <laughs> the, pro the proper and just use of force is the moral. The improper and unjust use of force is the immoral. It doesn't matter whether a government does it. It doesn't matter whether you do it. Morality does not accrue to an agency or to a thing. It accrues to an action and a person. And the fact that governments engage in both kinds of force from time to time is the problem of politics, isn't it? And in no way, in no way I don't think, negates the necessity and desirability of government and good governance, for heaven's sakes. Anarchy is perhaps better described as an absence of governing, not government, right, Robert? Yes, it is. And so, you know, too much government is the same as too little or none. And so uh, I, I totally concur with your point there, just to emphasize what you were just it's saying. It's almost as if these libertarians want a final solution to government. They want a final solution so that they can go about their lives and never have to worry about it again. Well, you know something? Government is necessary. Government is actually by its nature good because it allows for capitalism. The only thing is that it, it, for freedom. it requires constant vigilance. And that's what they want to avoid. They want to avoid the fact that we every day have to keep in check uh, the government. Now, yeah. the best way to that do every it... Every day you have to exercise your moral judgment. That's right. Every yeah. day you do. What they're advocating is basically laziness. Now, Ayn Rand said it best. Now, this is a little quote from uh, the Ford Hall Forum um, speech she gave called The Moral Factor back in 1976. She says, Ayn Rand says, The trouble in the world today is philosophical, that only the right philosophy can save us. And talking about the Libertarian Party, she said, And here's a party which plagiarizes some of my ideas, mixes it with the exact opposite, with religionists, with anarchists, with just about every intellectual misfit and scum that they can find, and they call themselves Libertarian and run for office. What we have to be doing is promoting the proper philosophy. That's how we get the government that we not only 
want but deserve and need a proper government. So constant vigilance, a constant refinement of the government that we have, reining them in when they overstep their bounds, having a firm constitution which delineates their, pro- which delineates their powers, and also rewarding them when they do things properly. Rand said this as well. So I hope that we've put the nail in the coffin of libertarianism, of anarchy, and of the conservative party linked to it. But uh, that remains to be seen. I'll I'll look on my uh, Facebook page for any more comments about (laughs) this particular uh, topic, Bob. Well, whether we rid ourselves of of anarchy, per se, and whether there are parties that promote it explicitly, it seems like we're seeing a lot more of it in our society coming from not just libertarians, but even the traditional parties, from the unions, from organizations. They're all promoting anarchy in the name of democracy, thinking that majority rule and yelling in the streets and occupying something. Don't they see that occupying is a complete act of violence? It's a complete act of aggression? It's an act of lack of respect? It's an act of non-discussion? They don't want to have a discussion. Somebody wants to sit in your face, that's a discussion? Come on. You know, <laughs> that's not the way it works. And, and this is, to the caller, I guess, perhaps the growing shape of anarchy in our society. When you've got the mayor going up to people in the park, begging them to leave. Oh, my God. Well, what, what is this all about? You know, it's just insane. Let's hope it ends and we can work towards helping that. Until then, we hope you'll join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. And you know what to do. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Hodgkins raised the cone of silence. What? Raise the cone of silence! Perhaps we could just talk softly, sir. (laughs) 